you have a copy of God's Word, if you could take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 41 this morning. You'll notice I skipped over a couple of parables in Mark chapter 4. That's because I did a series through the parables in the summer of 2020, and we dealt with uh, those parables then. You can find those if you would like to listen on our podcast, but this morning we're going to move ahead to the end of Mark chapter 4, and this begins a new section in the Gospel of Mark uh, that demonstrates, and this is going to be the theme for the next couple of weeks, that demonstrates the power of Jesus. In this passage this morning, we see Jesus' power over the forces of nature. Look at verse 41. Who is this? that even the wind and the waves and the sea obey him. As we read this morning, I want you to notice the level of detail in this passage. Remember, who's giving Mark the information on this gospel? Peter. And the detail that you will see in this story would not be here unless Peter was actually in the boat with Jesus On this day when this happened, you'll see the detail as we work through this passage and as I read. So follow along with me. This is the word of God, Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea and and said to the sea, Peace, be still, still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's the word of God. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us and help us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, you know how familiar this story is. To many of us in this room. Many of us perhaps have had a long weekend. We're tired. We watched a late game. And maybe we're going through the motions this morning. It's gloomy outside. You have us here for a reason. You want to work in our hearts. And so would you um, move us. Would you wake us up? Would you shock us with the relevance of this passage right now in our lives? Would you show us that the same one we see here who has authority over the waves and the wind has that same authority now in the world and in our lives? I pray that all of us would leave here this morning asking the same question that the disciples ask. Who is this man? That even the wind 
and the see obey him. And I pray that as we see that is the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would run to him with everything that we have. Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen. In his book, The King's Cross, uh, Tim Keller reminded me and mentioned a famous story that I did a little research on, on uh, King Canute of England. He ruled England for 19 years, beginning, how about this for history, in the year 1016. And some historians say that King Canute is the most effective king in Anglo-Saxon history. There's actually a famous story about King Canute uh, that uh, the historian Henry of Huntington tells. And the story goes that King Canute ordered that his throne be moved to the edge of the ocean, to the seashore, and placed there in which he sat down on his throne and said, Stop to the ocean as it and the waves as they were breaking onto the shore. And he said these words to the water, You are subject to me. As the land on which I am sitting is mine, and no one has resisted my lordship with impunity, I command you, therefore, not to rise onto my land, nor to presume to wet the clothing or the legs of your master. What do you think happened? Disrespectfully, the water rose and drenched the king's feet and legs. And now the king cried, let all the world know that the power of kings is empty and worthless and there is no king worthy of the name except him by whose will heaven and earth and sea obey external laws. And from that day forward, King Canute never wore his crown again, but hung it up over a picture of Jesus Christ being crucified and said, Praise is the God and great King, the Lord of nature. That's a great story. But we don't have to move our chair to the edge of the seashore to realize and to know that God is all-powerful and to be convinced that He's in control and that He is King. You see, all you have to do is live life. Live life in this broken world because if you live long enough, you will, place, you will uh, experience and face plenty of storms and waves and wind that will show you that you're not the king. That will show you that you're not in charge of this world. You see, one of the purposes of suffering and trials and hardships and pains and might I say pandemics is to show us that we're not the king. That we're not the Lord. That we're not in control. That's what we see in this passage this morning. This passage that we're going to look at this morning can be summarized in one word. Power. That's the theme. Not the power of the storm, as impressive as this storm was, but the power of Jesus. And here's my hope for every single one of us, including myself this morning, is that we might find this morning the same thing in these late night waters that the disciples found on the Sea of Galilee. That we would see Jesus 
and that our fears and anxieties and storms that we are experiencing will be put into perspective. So let's look at this passage. The power of Jesus is, number one, puzzling. Secondly, revealing. And lastly, loving. The power of Jesus is puzzling, revealing, and loving. That's where we're headed this morning. Let's look at our first heading. Uh, It is puzzling. Look at verses 35 through 36. It had been a hectic day. If you want to see just how hectic the day had been for Jesus, look at what preceded this passage in the Gospel of Mark. He's completely exhausted. And he says, let us go across to the other side. Look at verse 37. A great windstorm arose and waves were breaking into the boat. The word great, you're going to see, it's significant in this passage. It's actually the word mega. This is a mega storm. A gigantic storm. The word windstorm, you could say, uh, is also the word, it could mean hurricane. This is a terrible storm. And remember, these disciples, they were on these waters all of the time. And for them to be afraid, not just afraid, but terrified, shows you how bad this storm must have been. First thing I want you to notice is whose idea was it to go into this storm? Whose idea was it to go across to the other side? It was Jesus' idea. We learn something, don't we? Just because you're faithful and obedient. They're doing exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And just because we do exactly what Jesus asked us to do doesn't protect us from suffering and from storms. Instead, it might just lead us right into the heart of them. Here's why that's significant. Because oftentimes in our mind, we think about storms and suffering. And if someone's experiencing storms and suffering, we think, well, they must have deserved it. They must have sin in their life or they must be disobedient in some way. This pushes against that thinking. They're right smack in the middle of the revealed will of God. And this furious storm comes upon them into the boat and they are terrified. Verse 38. What's Jesus doing in the midst of this storm? Dead asleep, snoring on a cushion. And the disciples appear to be irritated by this fact. James Edwards is a commentator and he says, The rudeness of Mark's wording reflects the way frustrated and desperate people speak. And so the feel is this. Jesus, you told us to go to the other side. You got us into this mess, and now you're asleep. Thanks. It comes out with, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And I love verse 39. Don't miss verse 39. And he awoke. What woke Jesus up? It wasn't the storm. It was fearful and afraid and needy people. Friends, we know what that's like, especially moms. It could be storming, sound machine on, fan on, (laughs) a train going through the house, and you hear the slightest whimper of a child in need, don't you? That's Jesus. 
The storm didn't wake him up. It was his needy children. The disciples, they're afraid. And I want you to see the question that they ask in the midst of their fear. Where is their fear leading them? It leads them to say what? Look at the passage. Jesus, you don't care. You don't care. You don't really love us. Do you ever feel that way in the midst of storms that God has you in? You see, very quickly when things are going well for us, we're all in with Jesus. Jesus is the greatest. But then suddenly our boat starts to sink, doesn't it? Our boat starts to sink and we start facing infertility. Or we get a phone call that stops us in our tracks that tells us that a loved one has cancer or has passed away. Or your marriage seems to be coming apart. You've got children who are hurting and not doing well. Or you're in a job and you always are going to work thinking it might be your last day on the job. And when those times come, oftentimes we start to panic, don't we? The water starts to rise and we start to feel like we're drowning and we say, God must be asleep. Or we say things like, God, do you really care? Or I thought you loved me. Look at all the things that I've done and I've given up to follow you. Don't you love me? You see the premise? The premise around that way of thinking is that if you loved us, God, then we wouldn't suffer. If you loved us, then we wouldn't go through things like this. And the disciples were convinced that Jesus could do something. That's why they woke him up. But they're thinking that if Jesus really loved us, we wouldn't be in this storm in the first place. Because to them, Jesus' love and care was not compatible with the storms of life. Wrong premise. Many of you have heard the story that in the summer of 2020, I got stung. I still don't know by what. Uh, but I had an anaphylactic reaction. And two EpiPens later, I was in the hospital. That sent me into an allergist to start treatment and to um, start allergy shots. And so now, for the next five years, once a month, I go and I get four aller allergy shots, and they, in they inject me with insect venom. How do you think that feels? It's quite painful. Uh, it's also very inconvenient and very time-consuming. What are they doing, though, with the pain? They're building up my immune system. They're giving me things that I need so that I can fight off an insect sting in the future. So we could say, yes, through the pain, they are actually saving my life in a sense so that if I were to get stung, it would not be life-threatening. Some of you are in the middle of storms. And if you're not in the middle of storms... You will be in the future because we live in a broken world. I don't know why God puts you in that storm. God doesn't tell us he's God and we're not. Here's the point. But is it not possible that in the midst of the inconvenience of the storm and the pain and the heart of the storm, that an all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, powerful God could be building up your spiritual immune system, so to speak? giving you things that you need 
in order to save your life that you could not have gotten any other way. We think, I think, that God's love and care is only when we get what we want, when we want. But God says here, sometimes his love and care means that he brings us into storms. This passage is often preached, and the main point is Jesus will calm, calm this storm, and he will calm the storms in your life too. Maybe. But maybe not. That's not the point. The point is that in the comfort for us as Christians is not that God is, Jesus is going to calm all of our storms, but that he is with us in the midst of it. The comfort and point is that Jesus is in the boat and he's in total control because he's in total control because he is in charge of all things. You see, Jesus was able to rest in this storm, yes, because he was exhausted, but also because he knew his father knew what he was doing. Question, what storm are you in that's making you fearful and anxious and causing you to doubt God's love and care for you? Jesus knows what he's doing. He's attentive. Think about the passage. He's attentive to your fear and your anxiety. Friends, the Christian life has storms in it. And we must trust Jesus in the midst of them. Secondly, revealing. The power is revealing. So they wake Jesus up and he rebukes the wind and the storm. He confronts it. Look at verse 39. The ESV doesn't get the force of this. It says, peace be still. The, the word there is actually, be quiet. Zip it. <laughs> That's what he's saying to the storm. And what be muzzled is the literal word. And it's the same word, if you remember in Mark chapter 1, that Jesus looks at the demons and says, be silent. Same word, he's saying, be muzzled. The point is that Jesus is in power over the spiritual world and also the world, uh, the natural world. And notice the feel of the passage. Jesus doesn't roll up his sleeves. He doesn't get up from this storm and start pacing the boat, sweating, thinking, this is a really big storm. I don't think I can handle this. I've got to pull something uh, out of my sleeve for this one. How am I going to do it? No, that's not the passage. He doesn't lift a finger with a word. He says, be quiet. And you see here, notice the text says, great uh, calm. There's the word mega again. Mega storm is now mega calm. And it is so calm. Another, it said dead calm. So think about the ocean. If you're there after a storm, what's the ocean like? It's roaring. Way 10 foot swells coming in. No, after this storm, smooth as glass. You can actually see your face in it. And in the Old Testament, uh, we see that God alone has the power to calm storms in this way. You see it all throughout the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Psalms. We did the call to worship, Psalm 29. Psalm 107 says, The Lord stilled the storm to a whisper, and the waves were brought uh, to calm. Genesis chapter 1, 
God what speaks in order is brought out of the chaos. Remember our study in the book of Revelation. The sea was representative of what? Chaos and evil and uh, destruction. It's where the beasts live and the beasts come out of the sea. But what, if you remember in Revelation chapter 4, was the sea like before the throne of God? Mega calm. Smooth as glass. You see the point? Jesus is God in the flesh. He's able to still the storm. He's God with skin on. He's Lord of the storms. If you're in the middle of the storm this morning, we can be calm because God is Lord of the storms and one day He is going to come and bring mega calm to all of the storms in the world. The storms that are going on in your life and that we see all around us will not win. Verse 40, why are you so afraid? He exposes them here for having no faith. So he's saying your faith is part of the problem here. Now we need to be careful, don't we? Jesus is not saying to the disciples that they didn't have any faith. That's not what he's saying. Why? Because he says still no faith. So they had seen what Jesus had done. They'd seen his ministry and healing people and casting out demons. So he's not saying they didn't have any faith at all or zero faith. He's saying, where is it now? He's saying, you have to bring your faith with you into the storm. What does that mean? Well, it tells us something about faith. That faith is something that needs to be exercised over and over and over again. Faith is reminding yourself over and over again. It's one of the reasons why we're here this morning of who God is and remembering what he's done. We have to do that in the midst of our storm. Faith is not built by trying harder and thinking, I think I can. I've got to work up this faith so that I can really believe. No, faith is built by staring at faith's object. Who's the object of your faith? Jesus. It, faith is built by staring at Jesus. Bringing your faith with you into the storms of life means focusing not on your circumstances and your situation, but focusing on Jesus. Bringing your faith with you means listening not to the voice of your circumstances and of the storm, but listening to the voice of Jesus Because fixing your eyes on your circumstances and situations will sink you. It will lead to fear and anxiety. If you focus on Jesus and put your eyes on him, it leads to calm and peace and trust. Why? Because the focus is on Jesus' love for you and the fact that he is Lord of the storm and the fact that not a hair can fall from our heads without Jesus knowing it. What does it look like practically? Let me illustrate told you a couple of months ago, I had a pastor friend about my age that mid-40s diagnosed with colon cancer stage 2. Married, three children, and he recently had surgery to remove the cancer. He's now starting chemotherapy. I called him this week to check on him and to see how he was doing and listen to what he says. He said, Jason, I'm really, I'm really afraid and I'm really nervous, but I'm trying to think about Jesus' humanity. 
I'm also been, I have also been meditating on the, story, on, on the story of Peter and Jesus where Jesus is walking on water in the midst of the storm and he calls Peter out of the boat and Peter starts to sink. And then he says the point of that story is not that Peter takes his eyes off Jesus but that Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. And he said, Jason, I know that Jesus never takes his eyes off me. But would you pray that what I believe in my head would make its way to my heart? That's faith. We think faith is like, I got to be strong. I can't show any weakness. When we just say God is good and we have no fear or we don't have faith. No. Notice he admits, like, this is hard. But he's focusing on Jesus and he's bringing his faith with him into the storm. That's what it looks like. Where do you get it? In the Bible. That's why we got to meditate on Scripture. We get it here in this place. That's why we come to church every week because we forget and we come here and we're reminded that he's Lord of the storm. That's why you need driveway friends. You've heard me talk about driveway friends. When the wheels fall in your, off in your life, who's in your driveway? You need those people to hold you up and to help you believe when you can't believe yourself. Friends, do not think that faith is automatic. Jesus is going after the disciples and he's going after us this morning and he's saying, you've got what you need to face this. You've got what you need for the storm because you know who I am and you know what I've done. Take it with you into the storm. Lastly, it's loving. The storm hits, and they are afraid, but Jesus calms the storm. And so here's what you expect to read. You expect to read this and think, they're high-fiving in the boat. <laughs> yes, Jesus did it. No more, no more fear, no more calm. We're good now. Is that what happens? Verse 41 They were filled not just with fear. There's that word again. Mega fear. Mega storm. Mega calm. Mega fear. They're afraid. More afraid now than in the middle of the storm. Why? Because they know who's in the boat. They know that God's in the boat. In the flesh that Jesus The one, think about all the Old Testament stuff we went through. Verse 41, he's the one that even the wind and the sea obey. And if he can do that to the storm, what can he do to me? You see, that's the question, isn't it? Isn't that the million-dollar question when we face storms? Is How can God be loving in the midst of this storm? How do I know that God's going to love and care for me? How do I know that God's not mad and actually trying to harm me? Or how, we can say it another way, how can we stay calm and walk by faith and trust Him in the midst of the storm? Because that seems impossible, doesn't it, in the midst of it? Well, we have something this morning that the disciples did not have. And you know what that is? In this moment, the disciples did not have. That is the cross of Christ. We live this side of the cross, 
And that enables us to trust Jesus no matter the severity of the storm. Every commentator points out the identical um, in the mirror and the parallels between this account in Mark 4 and the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Jonah in the Old Testament? Both Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. And storms overtake the boat and the descriptions of the storms are almost exactly the same. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep. Dead asleep. And in both stories, those on the boat wake them up and say, we're going to die, do something. And then the sea is calmed and in both stories, they are more afraid after the, calm, after the sea is calmed than they were in the midst of the storm. Here's the difference. You remember the story of Jonah. He basically says to the sailors, the only way out of this situation is to throw me overboard. I have to die so that you can live. And that's exactly what they do. Remember, they throw Jonah over into the stormy sea. And that doesn't happen in Mark's gospel. Or does it? We were to keep reading and we'll get there eventually. What we would find that it's not the disciples that get thrown overboard into the stormy sea. It's Jesus that goes headlong into the greatest storm that this world has ever known. He hung on a cross and the waves were breaking on him of God's judgment and wrath were coming down on him. He died so that we could live. And the good news of the gospel is that means that there is no storm in our lives that can ultimately sink us because Jesus died for us. And so when you doubt God's love, Maybe you're in the midst of a storm this morning. You doubt his care and you have nowhere else in this world to look. Look at the cross. Romans chapter 8 verse 32. If he did not spare his one and only son, how will he not also graciously give you all things? John Stott is famous, famous for saying, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. Does that answer your why questions? Absolutely not. But here's the question it does answer. Whatever storm that you find yourself in this morning, the answer cannot be, it can never be, it's because God doesn't care for you. It can never be that God doesn't love you. It cannot be that because of the cross. Friends, Jesus is attentive to the things that make you afraid. He's attentive to your fear. And he loves you and he cares for you. And if Jesus did not leave you in the ultimate storm, he will not leave you in the middle of the storm that you find yourself in this morning. Let's pray. Jesus... Thank you for being good. Thank you for caring, for loving us in our storms when we're afraid. You are the one that sits enthroned above the flood. Would you help our unbelief? 
would you give us, help us to exercise our faith and to take it with you, take it with us in the midst of whatever storms we find ourselves in. Thank you for being close and near. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen.